0: Uh, The reading is taken from Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay it back but he refused instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt when the other servants saw what had happened they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened then the master called the servant in you wicked servant he said I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Now, if you're here for the first time or have been away for a while, we've been looking for the last few months through the Apostles Creed, one of the earliest summaries of what Christians believe. The other one that was uh, we use is called the Nicene Creed. It's about from about 300 AD, although it was being built slowly, and it's got slightly more information in it, and we normally say it when we do the Lord's Supper together. Well, let's pray. Father in Heaven, we ask that you would Please guide me in what I think and say and how I say it and you would please guide us in our listening that we would discern those things that are true and real and work out um, what it means for us to live in the light of them. We pray for your help now, Father, through Jesus our Saviour. Amen. Some of you will have read a book or two or seen on television a guy called Clive James. He's one of those blokes who if I've got a sort of a straight six brain in my head, He's got a V12, I think, or he did. He's dead now, sadly. But just in the in the months before he died, Clive James was interviewed in England, and um, he was being fairly honest. And uh, he said he looked. He spoke about the fact that he had some real regrets about some things that he'd done, particularly the way that at various times in his life he had really hurt people, and some of them were people who were very important to him. And he was speaking quite. Seriously about it, and then the journalist said to him, uh, "Do you think you're forgiven for those things?" And there was a, a thoughtful pause, and then he's just said, "Forgiveness is a big deal." And I wonder if if you agree with that—that that forgiveness is a big deal. The people who wrote this creed, only you know, a hundred and something years after Jesus had died and risen again. They thought it was such a big deal that they put forgiveness of sins in the creed. So remember, it's all about God the Father. Then the biggest chunk is God the Son, Jesus. Then we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. Then the resurrection of the body and the life. It's the one sort of present-day blessing that the creed picks up to say we believe in The forgiveness of sins—it seems to be a big deal to God, and it is actually going to be the biggest deal in your own life. I don't know if you feel the the significance of it at the moment, but uh, back in the times of eternity, you will think that was the biggest deal—the forgiveness of sins. You see that a bit, don't you, with the play that um, was done here for us, Jesus? a man is brought in actually he's let down through the roof which I think would have been fun and um, Jesus does some excellent triage work and goes for his most important need much to the horror of everyone says your sins are forgiven then after that in order to show that he has that sort of authority then he does the secondary work and heals him the forgiveness of sins Jesus seems to think is the most important thing a human has I was I spoke at a school a few years ago and I was a bit surprised to discover afterwards that some of the staff and some of the students were not happy that I'd made the fairly obvious comment I would have thought that even if you've just discovered you've got some fairly nasty cancer and you're only 16 years of age or perhaps you're 35 years of age, that is not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem by far is the sin issue. So the forgiveness of sins, whatever that is, is a really big deal. You see it also in John 5, don't you, where Jesus heals a man who hasn't walked in 38 years. What's that? Back in the 80s, 1980s, he hasn't walked for a long, long time. He's healed, he's celebrating, he's excited, as you would be. Jesus sees him later on and says, he says, see you are well. And this is a real downer, then he says, sin no more, lest something worse happen to you. Now. That just seems a pretty heavy thing to say to the bloke. He's happy as Larry. He can walk. But Jesus, there's something, something worse than being a cripple for 38 years. It's tied up with sin. The forgiveness of sin is a big deal. So let's have a look today, at this. firstly, at this one crucial blessing that the Creed bothers to mention. The Holy Spirit, the Christian community, the forgiveness of sins, and then on to the resurrection of the body, which will be great fun when we look at that next week. What do we mean by the forgiveness of, well, no, more importantly, what does the Bible mean? What does God mean when he speaks of the forgiveness of sins? You can't be forgiven in the Bible's understanding unless you've sinned. And what is, what is that? Well, the Bible uses, sometimes speaks of sin in the singular and other times speaks of sins. Sin is the fundamental attitude, the, 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 the sort of the, the set of the heart. In 1 John 3, it says, sin is lawlessness. So sin at its heart is not just doing things that God has said not to do or not doing things God has said to do, but sin is lawlessness. It's not just that we break God's law, which we do, but it's that we don't give a damn about God's law. It's lawlessness. It's a person who says, I don't care what he says. In fact, I don't even know what he says. I'll assume he says what I think. Sin is, that that's the attitude of sin. That's the heart of the sickness. And then it shows itself in various symptoms. The areas where I will tend to do individual sins might be different to the ones that you do. And we do tend to look at other people who have trouble in this area and we judge them because we don't have troubles in that area, we have problems in this area, which we then make little of. It's sins that God says he forgives and you need your sins, individual acts of rebellion and defiance and selfishness. We have not loved God. And you've not loved your neighbor. We need forgiveness for that. And also for sin is the deep attitude. You can only be forgiven if you're a sinner. You can only be a Christian if you're a sinner. That's why it's such a silly thing when people say that Christians are, you know, self-righteous. Well, there may be people who go to church who are self-righteous, but you can't be self-righteous if you're a Christian. We are the people who regularly say, I'm a sinner. I remember sitting at a dinner party once in the North Shore of Sydney and I just mentioned the fact that I was a sinner and that I deserved to go to hell. It was, it was, I've discovered it's not a great conversation lubricant <laughs> to say that. They just looked appalled, as if I'd revealed something quite disgraceful. I mean, it, this is what it is to be Christian, is to recognise we have a serious sin problem. But more than that, there's forgiveness of sins. Now, what does it mean to be forgiven? I'm, now, what I've discovered is this, that when the Bible speaks about forgiveness, I want to suggest to you it, it, it's got its emphasis in a different place to our culture. So this last couple of weeks, I looked up a thing called the Stanford Forgiveness Project. Stanford's a pretty impressive university in the States, and they've got a tremendous, they've got some great institutes and projects. I read a bit of stuff and listened to the, the main guru in it, and it's just... Well, it does what our culture does with forgiveness, which it roots the question of forgiveness fundamentally in our feelings. So again and again, I looked up definitions from various places and they would say that forgiveness is, is um, overcoming negative emotions of resentment and a desire for revenge. Now, that's, that might be part of it, but we tend to see it mostly as uh, how I feel about someone or something. I want to say that is not how the Bible normally thinks about forgiveness. There's a fellow called Christa Stendhal who wrote a book some years ago. He's from Harvard Uni called um, Paul and the Introspective Conscience of the West. And he just talks about how we are, we are just as a culture obsessed with how I feel about things. What do I feel about this? How do I feel about this person? The Bible it is concerned about feelings, but it's more concerned at this point about how you treat someone. So the story that you heard about forgiveness that we'll come to in a few moments um, from Matthew 18, it says nothing much about the feelings of the people who are being forgiven or, or uh, needing forgiveness. It talks about how their debt was treated. That's the fundamental thing. So in, in uh, I find perhaps the most helpful single verse is from Psalm 103, which is a wonderful psalm of joy, but he's actually doing as we need to do, which is he's talking to himself. He's saying Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. So he's talking to himself. Let all that is within me praise Him. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Come on, you should be a lunatic. And then he says, "How's he going to get there? Forget none of His benefits. What's the first benefit He speaks of? Who pardons all your iniquities? And that's the first thing He says. That's, that's the first great blessing: is that He's the God who pardons. All of our iniquities. A few verses later, it spells it out in these words He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. So, he spells out what forgiveness looks at about the way that God treats you. He does not deal with us according to our sins. God does not give me what I deserve. And I've been with people who've prayed that God would give us what we deserve and I think, oh no, that's the last thing I want. Right? I, I, I mean, I'm in all sorts of bother if I get what I deserve. Right? What it's saying here is that forgiveness is fundamental that God won't treat you in the way that your sins deserve. Forgiveness means essentially that you don't treat a person in the way that they deserve that they may have been a complete jerk to you, but you don't treat them in the way that their sins cry out for. You treat them as if they had been a friend and treated you well. If they needed help, you'll help them rather than laugh at their need and their position, their situation. So to forgive is treating someone as friend. not treating them as they deserve. Now, this gets messy and complicated at times, and we'll come back to that in a few moments. But forgiveness of sins is God saying, I won't give you what you deserve. It is the absolute opposite of karma. And some of you would have read the interview with Bono from U2, where he talks about the the thing I don't want is karma. I don't want to get paid back for what I've done, the law of sowing and reaping. I'm hanging out for grace, he says. That God will not treat us. This is what it is to be forgiven. And we say in the creed, every time we say it, which for some of us, we've already said it hundreds and hundreds of times. And, uh, you know, if all goes well, you probably say it hundreds and hundreds of more times. But the thing that the early Christians noted is we believe in the forgiveness of sins. That God doesn't treat us as we deserve. This is the one great crucial blessing that it wants to draw our attention to. Now, secondly, the one indivisible package this is Matthew, 20, Matthew 18. Look, I sort of think when we we're working out this series, I probably picked the wrong passage. Matthew 18 was probably not the best passage for this line. And you've, you've probably, many of you have had some fun in your life groups studying it because it actually takes you in a different direction, doesn't it? It really takes you to the question of how you forgive others, which is a very important part of the teaching of Jesus. But the creed is more focusing on how God treats us. Whereas that story will push you into it because it is saying, as Jesus says, all over the place, that the business of God's forgiveness of me and my forgiveness of you, or more often God's forgiveness of you and your forgiveness of me, right, um, are absolutely inseparable. They're all tied together, as Jesus says. Now, in Matthew 18, as you, as you, um, you probably know, it's, it's really the biggest chunk of Jesus' teaching on life in the church, life as his community. And because Jesus is a thorough realist and he knows that we're sinful, I'm individually sinful, you are individually sinful, you put a whole lot of sinful, broken, healing people together, we're going we're to mess up. We're going to have a relationship breakdown. We're going to disappoint each other. Sometimes we're just going to really hurt each other, sometimes deliberately because we're jerks, and sometimes accidentally because we're clumsy. And we're going to need to learn to forgive and how to get on with each other. Matthew 18 is all about that. Now, Peter starts off the section we're going to look at here at verse 21 with he's actually doing okay at this point because Peter's often a bit of a boofhead. Listen to what it says in verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, at this point, Peter's doing very well because he realises that Jesus, he's been with Jesus for quite a while, he realises that Jesus is really big on forgiving your brother or sister. It's in the middle of the Lord's prayer that he gives us. The only thing Jesus goes back and comments on uh, about the Lord's Prayer is the question of forgiving, the importance of making sure that when you draw near to God, you assess and, and forgive your brothers and sisters. And Peter's worked this out, that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of forgiveness. So he said, how many times, I mean, let's be realistic. I think the fun thing is that Peter doesn't ask, Lord, how many times can do my brothers and sisters have to forgive me? Because we do have a tendency, don't we, to think, I have to do a lot of forgiving at this church. Blimey, me, Charlie. But frankly, over my billions of years of you know, serving in churches, often the most difficult people are the most sensitive to the inappropriate comments and you know, et cetera of others. It's always good for us to realise, in the same way as various people have probably hurt you, disappointed you, offended you, you have almost certainly done it to them as well. And not to only think that you, know, you are the victim of other people, we're all victims and victimizers. sometimes accidentally, sometimes for worse reasons. But Peter's answer is terrific because the rabbis, we've got plenty of writings from the rabbis at this time, and they, they say three times. Now once, twice, three, three strikes and you're gone. Um, now what Peter's done is he's doubled it. He knows that Jesus is big on forgiveness, so he doubles it and adds one as a bonus. Seven, that's a good number. So I think he's expecting Jesus to go, good on you, Pete, well done. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times but 77 times. Or it might be seven times 70. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, he's not asking you to keep a, t- you know, keep a tally. You can imagine. Husbands and wives could do this, couldn't they? Because they get the longest time you know, up close to annoy each other and to d- disappoint each other. And you, can, you, know, you say to your partner, sweetie, I just want to let you know you're up to 75. <laughs> so two more. That's it. That's, that, that, that would be to read the Bible, badly. <laughs> He's just saying, it's, it's not about, you know, it's just, however much you think is a good number, it's bazillions past that. Then he tells this story, which is, it's, it's basically got, you know, one or two points at the most about the absolutely indivisible package in the kingdom of God. You heard the story well read for us, the kingdom of heaven is like a king settles accounts with his servants. A servant comes up who owes him 10,000 bags of gold. Now, that's a humongous... 10,000 was the biggest number the Greeks had, basically. It's like saying a gazillion. I mean, it was a real number, but it was also the number, if you going to say, ridiculously big. And not bags of aluminium, 10,000 bags of gold. Uh, And he runs into a guy who owes him 100 pieces of silver. Now... The great biblical scholar Dr Oscar Lubbock, did the mathematics and worked out I think it was two hundred thousand years for an ordinary worker that's two hundred thousand years of work it would take to earn the the um, that amount of gold. It is just an absurd it's a ridiculous amount and he, clearly the stories come from the picture of a great king like the a Roman emperor who's got his empire divided into sections, and this, is, this guy's probably some sort of a governor who's just been ripping them off, the taxing off. This is much, much more tax than the whole of Judea and Samaria and Galilee would have each earned each year. It's an absurd amount of money that this guy has been stealing from him. And um, he, he's going to send him off to be duly punished, and what happens? The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. That's ridiculous. He will never be able to pay that amount of money back. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. Just completely wrote the debt off. Didn't try and hunt it down, didn't ask for 10%, didn't ask for anything. He said, "Okay." He just took pity on him out of the tenderness of his heart he saw this man in a real mess. Why was he in a mess? Because he put himself in a mess. Right? And he didn't repent and come and say, Master, I've done all these terrible things. He was caught in the audit. This is the great story that Jesus tells. When that servant went out, so he's just been forgiven gazillion dollars, he goes straight out. First person he meets is another servant who owed him 100 silver coins. That's basically three months' wages. That's a lot of money, isn't it? Right? I, I, I wouldn't want to owe you three months' wages. For an Anglican minister, that's just under $3 million. So it's a lot of money. But, you know, it, but it's doable, though, isn't it? If, you, if, if it's, if it's three, three months' wage, well, you can pay that back. That's realistic. But we go from ridiculous forgiveness and pardon to the refusal to pardon. No. He grabbed him and, and began to choke him. It's ugly. Pay me back what you owe me. His fellow servant used almost exactly the same words as he had used when he was in trouble, be patient with me and I'll pay you back, but he refused. The other servants were just staggered, I mean I would think if you'd been in the room where the king had just pardoned someone of you know 200,000 years of works gold, that should inspire you to be a little bit generous, but this is the very man himself, but he seems to be, it's, it's as if he'd never been forgiven. Something had never sunk in, there was just no seepage into his heart at all, and he's ruthless and horrible. And as you heard the story, he, the, the king drags him back in and says, you wicked servant, I cancelled all that debt of yours. It's a very important phrase, all that debt, a huge debt, because you begged me, shouldn't you? have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. He hands him over to the jailers, to the torturers, until he should pay back everything. Then Jesus finishes in verse 35, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the one indivisible package. Those who are forgiven are to be those who forgive. That's to be one of the great marks of the children of God it seems to run in particular parallel to when Jesus says and the letters say from the apostles say exactly the same thing you've been loved love, you've been forgiven, forgive, the, the, the way in which it speaks of you should forgive as you've been forgiven, you should love as you've loved, so the more you appreciate how much you've been loved and forgiven, the more likely you are to be empowered to forgive I remember Alison um, she was at a that was at the church where we met and she was in a home group with a, a very unusual man leading it. Um, anyhow, that's... But he, he just said, when they came to one of the pastors like this, I think there are some sins you, you shouldn't forgive. You're a Bible study leader at a Bible-loving church. Something's going wrong there, isn't it? Because that is not what Jesus is saying. You should forgive as you've been forgiven. Uh, and... Um, of course, some people in this, in this building have got terribly hard things that you're dealing with at the moment in forgiveness, things that have happened even either recently or perhaps some time in the past, and it's very hard to come to grips with this. Let me suggest, if that is your situation, you're looking and saying, I just can't do this, that, there's no need to panic at that point. Uh, the, the reason to panic is if you say, well, that's rubbish, I'm never forgiving that. If you take the position, no. I hear what Jesus is saying. I'm, if I've been forgiven, I'm to forgive. If you go no, right, then you're in trouble. Right? That, that, that's a thing you need to repent of somewhat quickly. But if you're saying, God, I, I don't. How, how can I possibly forgive? I, I just can't do it. I can't see how I can. Um, can I suggest? Don't keep that to yourself. Do what the old prayer book says and seek ghostly counsel. That is spiritual counsel on that. Uh, to deal with if it's, if, it's a, you know, if it's sort of domestic violence or something, you know, sexual abuse or something that's happened to you or is happening now. do, do God has given us each other, as we looked at last week, for the communion of saints, that we can help um, with, with get some wisdom in the way forward. But it's to make sure we never say, I will never forgive. I've only once in my life wanted to kill someone and they hadn't actually hurt me. I've never met them. I knew where to find them but they had hurt someone who mattered to me and I just found in myself this desire to hunt them down and kill them and I thought they deserved it and in some sense they possibly did but the Bible says no, 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 Ian, vengeance belongs to God. Don't you start doing that because you've got Noah, you're way out of your depth at that point, leave it to God. But. I I I prayed about it. I I knew it wasn't right. At that stage I used to practice with these crazy little nunchuckers, I think they're called. I'd seen them in a Bruce Lee movie. If I wasn't smashing my own hands, it was quite fun. And and I to be to be honest, I had imagined myself finding this bloke and pulling my nunchuckers out of my back pocket and helping him learn to behave better. I prayed about it, didn't seem to help, so I went I had a An old friend, a guy called John Kidson, who was a very wise man, I drove across Sydney to spend some time with him because I just knew I needed help. Now, over time, he gave me some helpful advice, gave me some suggestions what not to do, but that was very helpful. I didn't want to forgive the man. I couldn't see how he could forgive. It didn't seem as if he deserved forgiveness. He needed a good beating. But that's God's job, not mine. And God, over time the pain of the poison was lessened now sometimes it doesn't mean you've got to go and be someone's very best friend that's why we do need to get counsel from other friends in this point but what jesus is saying is never accept i will never forgive that person you've been forgiven much you may well have been hurt terribly but the thing the thing jesus is saying is thousands and thousands of bags of gold a few silver coins And part of the thing that helps us recover in this area, and it can be a slow process and a growth thing, is recognising just how much God has forgiven us. But friends, rather than always going to the hardest possible case, and there are some very hard cases in almost all areas, most of us have just got to at least just deal with our momentary irritation with people we work with, with family members, often enough on Father's Day with fathers. people who have hurt us, people who have really disappointed us, people who should have done better, perhaps people in your immediate family, perhaps people in your church family. And what Jesus is saying is be sure that you forgive as you've been forgiven much. That's the default position and that's the thing we are to seek. So we, we sort of enter this sort of circle of forgiveness where we are forgiven and we're committed to learn to dance, as it were, in the same way that God has danced with us. Uh, last night, as a Father's Day present, my daughter uh, sent uh, us to see "The Girl from the North," I think, which is a series of Bob Dylan songs and a story. I think I've worked out where some of the story was going. Anyhow, the music was fantastic, but some of the people on the stage could really dance. I can't. I know it's hard to believe. I know I look like a dancer, but but. Um, But here's the thing, I am sure that if I spent time working on how to dance, I could become significantly better. They may never ask me to go in a musical, they might, but but forgiveness is like that. It's a thing you can learn, your heart can learn. You can unlearn destructive ways of playing things over in your head, having all these imaginary conversations you wish you could have, seeing ways to harm them and hurt them. Um, it, it's a thing which we can learn and grow up in and the Holy Spirit works with us in it. So that it's, it's an indivisible package is what that passage is saying to us in Matthew 18. But it's about forgiveness. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus is so centred on and fueled by forgiveness. He will do whatever it takes so that you can be forgiven justly, fully, Perfectly. He will pay whatever it costs him. It's because in the story from Matthew 18, someone pays the cost of what's happened, and it's the king. He just goes out of his out-of-pocket billions of dollars, and he wears it. In the real life thing, his son comes and pays the cost and dies for us, which we'll celebrate in a few moments. So this is the one crucial blessing. This is the one individual package. There'll be things for us to talk about further after church. Uh, but I, don't want, I just think we've got to be careful with this is not, not heading, although it would be good, wouldn't it, to spend some more time on how you forgive people because it is one of the great challenges and it is a challenge. But let's, um, I do want us to major on what this creed is majoring on, which is the forgiveness of sins that comes to us from God, from the one who's died for us. And look lastly at this one beautiful way, the one crucial blessing it talks of, this individual package, indivisible package in Matthew 18. And finally, the one great and beautiful way that is, we say in the creed, I believe in this, I believe in that. You don't say I believe every time, but it's sort of a comma, obviously. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Well, let me ask you to stop and reflect for a moment. Do you? Do you believe that your sins are forgiven? Are you confident that your sins are forgiven? That if today was your day of standing before God in judgment, that he would find no fault with you, that your sins have been wiped away, or as the Old Testament speaks, have they been buried in the bottom of the ocean, which if you put it in the right part of the oceans, that's still almost ungettable too. But for the Hebrews, that was, you know, you can't get anywhere near it, that God has buried it for us. Have you ever asked God for forgiveness? Not just hear about it, but actually say, God, I, I have sinned. And here's some of the ones that I can remember. And the heart issue, the arrogance of the heart towards God. Because it is altogether possible to hear about the forgiveness of God, but not to actually personalise it. I, I need that forgiveness. And one of, I don't know if it's my favourite story, but, it's, but it's, it's one of the most intriguing stories to me in this area. Is about a man called George L. Wilson, who lived when Andrew Jackson was president of the United States. Some of you will know the story. It's a true story. I've checked this up in the US Supreme Court records, etc., that you can look at online. And he, he'd done some terrible crime. He'd been tried, found guilty, and was waiting to be executed. Friends of his took up a campaign with, with President Andrew Jackson who, for reasons that I haven't been able to discover, decided he would write him a presidential plenary pardon, which is not only will he not be hung until dead, he'll be released as if he'd never done the crime, a plenary that is a a full rounded pardon for everything. The president sat down at his desk, wrote out the pardon, was given to the presidential courier, he took it to the prison, the prison warden and the presidential courier went down to George Wilson's cell and they handed him the pardon. Apparently, Wilson read it, tore it up, threw it on the floor, and went back and lay down on his bed. I don't know why. Anyhow, it finished up in the US Supreme Court. Is Wilson pardoned or not? The President wrote him a pardon with his name on it, but he ripped it up. And in the end, the, the verdict of the US Supreme Court was that a pardon was only valid and effective if it was received by the person for whom it was intended. So George L. Wilson was hung on a rope until he was dead. The reason I was struck by that story, well, there's a number of reasons, but I just thought, are we not like that? God goes to all the trouble of sending his son to die that you can have your sins forgiven. As Jesus says, as he's making the Lord's Supper, he sheds his blood for the forgiveness of sins. That's what it's about. He offers you pardon. Right? It's altogether possible for some reason not to act it right. I am a sinner. Um, although the funny thing is when you become a Christian, you learn more about the depth of that, don't you? you know, Because you begin to really work at loving people like Jesus loves you and you think, oh, crap, I'm not very good at this at all. I'm much weaker and dodgier than I thought I was. But to go to him and ask him for forgiveness. And the other thing is, is, to, is to feed on the reality of that forgiveness. Uh, and it's worth, do, do you rejoice in your forgiveness it's not just hope oh gosh I hope I'm forgiven I think I'm forgiven I don't think that's where God wants us to stay he sets up the baptism for when people become Christians it's the symbol of God washing you the water is God that he's saying I'll tell you what I do when you put your faith in me I wash you and you're clean it's as if you'd never sinned it's unbelievable but it's true and then he sets up the Lord's Supper to keep saying I died for you I've dealt, with, I've dealt with your sins. See, sometimes we accidentally act as if perhaps some great sin we did that might have really hurt a lot of other people, might have even killed people. Or maybe some sin that you just can't seem to beat It keeps on getting you again and again and again. And we think, oh, I don't understand. I don't think it can work. I don't think I'm forgiven. What you're accidentally saying, aren't you, is I think Jesus probably needs to die again to cover my sin. My sin is so impressive. And it's not actually honouring to God to go on and on and on about your sin rather than going on and on and on about his death and the power of his blood to wash away our sins. So we need to make sure that we've asked Christ personally, yes, simple, just stop, find a place and say, God, I, I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me. Please apply your death to me but also to enjoy it, because that is actually part of what empowers you to forgive others. The reality of the forgiveness, which obviously hadn't sunk into that stupid servant in Matthew 18. It obviously hadn't hadn't really dawned on him what the universe he was living in, the kingdom he was living in. But for us to know that we are forgiven. There's a wonderful thing where Martin Luther, who was so big in this whole area, someone asked him once, do you feel that you've been forgiven? He answered, no. But I'm as sure I am forgiven as I'm sure there's a God in heaven. Feelings come, feelings go. Feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Nothing else is worth believing. God has said, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just. He will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He pardons all your iniquities. Isaiah 43. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. So many verses. You are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And when I am freshly aware of what a jerk I can be in terms of sin, I'll normally go to some of these great passages, uh, great promises of forgiveness. And just think, okay, just think this. You know, listen to what God says. But sometimes it's still hard to believe, isn't it? That's weird. You see this a little bit. Won't waste too much time. Have a look at the last couple of chapters of Genesis, when Joseph has forgiven his brothers, who were going to kill him. They were going to kill him, but then that I oh, know I can. We can make money out of him. We make him a slave. So the only reason he's alive is oh, he's better. He's worth something if he's. So, and the whole thing, and he ends up becoming the prime minister of Egypt, and they come to him needing help, and blah blah blah, and he, he just forgives them, embraces them, and is kind to them. But when their dad dies, they make up this lie in Genesis fifty. They say they they make up this message saying that your dad said, make sure you forgive your brothers, because although Joseph had forgiven them, right, they didn't believe it. They they thought it, they thought he was going to come and get them now once the dad died, because we do tend to think. Other people are like us. But he forgave them. It is hard sometimes to believe that God can be as good as he is. The, um, I, I think I've shared once or twice, I don't want to be silly, but three times I think in my life, I've been a Christian for 40-something years. Three times I think I've heard the voice of God. That's stupid. I hear the voice of God every time I open this book. That's where you hear the voice of God. But every now and then God can do what he likes. And three times... And the first time, and I don't. It doesn't matter if I'm wrong, actually, because God is just saying what the Bible says. I was a youth minister. I was in the backyard, Bible open, saying, "God, I just, I just don't, I don't know how you can possibly put up with me. I'm so, I'm such a hopeless joke of a Christian. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me." And then, and then I kind of heard a voice in the middle of my head. That's where I've heard it all three times. At, uh, and the voice simply said. I have forgiven you, I said, but I don't feel it. The voice in the middle of my head said, "So what?" I thought, "Yeah, fair call." And the, the only other times I'm not look. You might think, "Oh no, that's just you talking to yourself." No, I don't think it was. The three times I've had little things like that. They don't say anything other than what the scriptures say, but occasionally God says, "Come on, foolish person." I love you so, so, and I think that's what's saying. It, the way you feel the joy of forgiveness is by believing what he says. When you, you know, if I said to you, i put twenty million bucks in your bank account, and I convinced you it was true, I'm suggesting you'd be a little bit happy, right? But if you don't believe it, which would be what I'd suggest, yes, you don't. Yeah, you do, but it, you wouldn't feel it. But if if the money was there but you didn't believe it. You could be happy as anything, but you're not because you know I'm lying to you. We accidentally treat God like me, saying you got 20 million bucks in your bank. He's not lying. He says, my son has died for you. I've paid the ultimate price. The forgiveness is perfect. It's instantaneous like it was for the thief on the cross. Trust me. We live in a world of forgiveness with Jesus. And the thing for us is to grow more forgiving ourselves. But the place it starts is by letting it sink in how wonderful God is in forgiving us for all our sins. His mercy is so deep, so powerful, so overwhelming. And when that sinks in, that melts the heart and rebuilds us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your ways are not our ways. Uh, No one knows us like you do. No one has such brilliantly pure, wonderful standards like you do. And yet, you're so merciful, so quick to forgive, so perfect in your forgiveness. Forgive us, Father, for the times when we doubt your promises to us. Help us by your Holy Spirit to believe what's true. Uh, Help us, even as we eat and drink in a few moments, to take seriously that your Son has died for each and every one of our sins. And help us also, Lord, to learn to forgive those we need to forgive. And we pray for this help in Jesus' name. Amen.